All right, well, welcome back to our systematic theology study. Uh, tonight, we are looking at, we're on number 24, and we're looking at the Christ of the Creeds. Last time, we kind of started this new section on, specifically on Christ, and last time was Christ of the Bible. Next time, we'll look at the names of Christ, uh, and next session is on the 22nd. Um, so we're going to kind of follow our usual format here. I have an introductory uh, article to read to you, and I'm also going to read the Creed of Chalcedon because it's uh, related to what we're studying tonight and will be helpful to actually hear what it says uh, as we look and discuss it in the video and in our uh, overview after the video. And then we'll <coughs> close uh, by looking at what our confession says again. Some of that will be repeated, but it'll be, uh, we'll focus more on tonight's subject when we do that. All right, so um, here's our introductory article. In our study of the person of Christ, we have seen that although some groups denied the true deity of Christ during the early centuries of church history, the church had largely settled the question of our Savior's divinity by the end of the 4th century. Scripture's teaching on the deity of Christ in passages such as John 1, 1 through 1-14 is clear. So the church could affirm the full deity of our Lord against the Arians and other groups. At the end of the 4th century and into the 5th century, however, debate was ongoing regarding the relationship of the de deity of Christ to the humanity of Christ. Everyone agreed that Christ is in some sense both divine and human, but different positions were held regarding the nature of our Lord's humanity and how it is united to his deity in his person. These disagreements led to the Council of Chalcedon in 451. Chalcedon affirmed the Christology of Cyril of Alexandria and of Leo the Great, who was the Bishop of Rome at the time. It condemned Nestorianism, Eutychianism, and every heresy that denies the true humanity and true deity of Christ and their true union in the one divine person of the Son of God. Chalcedon also gave us the standard orthodox definition of the person of Christ, which says that in the one person of Christ are perfectly united the divine nature and human nature, and that this union is without confusion, mixture, separation, or division, each nature retaining its own attributes. This <clears throat> is what is called the hypostatic union. Christ is one person with two natures. The definition of Chalcedon does not spell out this union in every detail, but it gives parameters to preserve the biblical witness. Because each nature retains its own attributes, Christ is truly human and truly divine. He is not one at the expense of the other, and because these natures are not confused or mixed, he is not a third kind of being, neither truly human or truly divine. The natures are united in one person without separation or division, so Christ is a single person or subject, a point Chalcedon emphasizes by repeatedly speaking of one and the same Christ. He may act according to his divine nature or according to his human nature, but the same Christ acts no matter where he is exercising his divine attributes or his human attributes. The unity of the natures in the one person means that the attributes of each nature belong to the person. Christ's divine nature, for example, does not have blood, but the person of Christ does because a human nature belongs to Christ, 
Acts 20, 28. All right, let's uh, look exactly what the Creed of Chalcedon actually says. We then, following the Holy Fathers, all with one consent, teach men to confess one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the same perfect in Godhead and also perfect in manhood, truly God and truly man, of a rational soul and body, co-essential with the Father according to the Godhead, and co-substantial with us according to the manhood. In all things like unto us, without sin, begotten before all ages of the Father according to the Godhead, and in these latter days, for us and for our salvation, born of the Virgin Mary, the Mother of God, according to the manhood, one and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten, to be acknowledged in two natures, without confusion, without change, without division, without separation, the distinction of natures being by no means taken away by the union, but rather the property of each nature being preserved and concurring in one person and one subsistence, not parted or divided into two persons, but one and the same Son, and only begotten, God the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ. As the prophets from the beginning have declared concerning him, and the Lord Jesus Christ himself has taught us, and the creed of the Holy Fathers has handed down to us. So I think that'll be helpful as we continue in tonight's study. Let's, uh, let's now pause, we'll watch our video and come back and do our overview, see what we've learned, and then we will also look at our confession. All right, hope that video was helpful. Let's go through our overview and see what we learned. Introduction. Most controversy over the doctrine of Christ was faced by the early church. I'm sorry, much controversy. The councils of Chalcedon, or Chalcedon if you prefer, and Nicaea both aimed to clarify the biblical teaching on Christ's person. Here we look at the controversies over Christ's person and describe him as both truly God and truly man. Our overview. For the early church, the greatest concern was to establish a clear biblical portrait of Jesus that, was reve that revealed the unity and diversity of the Godhead. The various councils during the 4th and 5th centuries are a result of this struggle. The person of Christ is greatly assaulted during our time. The church throughout its history has had to defend against attacks on the person of Christ similar to those of the Jesus Seminar today. Was the Council of Chalcedon a terminal council? Burkauer, a teacher of Dr. Sproul's at the Free University of Amsterdam, believed it was the last council of church history to define the person of Christ. It seemed unimaginable that any council could go beyond those statements. The Fourth Ecumenical Council, AD 451, Chalcedon, was brought about because of errors concerning the two natures of Christ. On one hand was the error of Eutyches, the promoter of monophytism. He <clears throat> taught that the incarnate Christ had only one nature, called a theantropic nature. It was a hybrid, neither divine nor human. On the other hand was the heresy of Nestorius, which was named after him. Nestorius did not deny that Christ had two natures, but he said Jesus also had two distinct personalities. 
Jesus, in his view, was actually two persons. Chalcedon said, Deum verum et hominem verum. Jesus was truly God and truly man. Four negatives were established concerning the two natures of Christ, without mixture, without confusion, without separation, and without division. Distinguishing the two natures is not the same as separating them. The full mystery of how Christ can be truly God and truly man cannot be penetrated by creeds or reason. It is beyond our full understanding. We can only proclaim so much positively concerning the person of Christ. If you try to think or write beyond Chalcedon, you might as well just pick your heresy. A teaching that must not be ignored is the fact that each nature retains its own attributes. So questions and answers for a helpful review. What purpose do the creeds of Christ serve? They set boundaries. To go beyond orthodoxy is to land upon some heresy. What does deum verum et hominem verum mean? Truly God and truly man. Orthodoxy requires this affirmation. What early heresy denied the dual nature of Christ? Eutychianism. He believed Jesus has a third nature, which is the separate natures combined. What early heresy viewed Christ's two natures as separate personalities? Nestorianism. He believed Christ had two persons, divine and human. What is the theanthropic nature of Christ? Hybrid divine human. Eutyches believed in a blend that is partly both but not fully either. Which issue provoked the Council of Chalcedon? The dual nature of Christ. Chalcedon is, <coughs> is famous for the four negatives, two natures without confusion, mixture, division, or separation. So let's look at our discussion questions. What was the main theological goal of the first five centuries? They were concerned that they needed to establish a clear portrait of the biblical of Christ that revealed his unity, his unity and diversity Yeah, so a, a, a clear understanding and teaching of the nature of Christ. What were the two main heresies confronting the Orthodox position on Christ's person? Christ's person? Um, one was Nestorius. Mm -hmm. um, he did not deny that God had two natures, but he said that Christ had two distinct personalities. Right, so there's one major one. What was the other major one? Um, Eutyches, is that how you say it? Eutyches, yes. Eutyches was the other one. And he believed that Christ's nature was blended and right. partly God and partly man. Right, he was 50-50, right? He was 50% yeah. man, 50% God. A hybrid. <laughs> right. Which, obviously, you can follow that to logical conclusions and say, well, if he's only half man and half God, then he doesn't retain the full attributes of man or the full attributes of God. 
Uh, what questions about Jesus' deity does the Creed of Chalcedon answer? Right. Right. And so the Christ had, he was both truly God and truly man. Right. So, uh, question about his deity. So, it would be that he is truly God. He is, you know, a hundred percent deity. He's not fifty percent. Um, and at the at the same time, his human nature. Um, is not completely separate from his divine nature either. Uh, what qu questions remain unanswered? I think Sproul talked about it a little bit about if you if you start to think beyond um, what the the theologians, the early church theologians for five hundred years came to conclusions on. If you try to think beyond that, um, you get into trouble. So we have to accept that there are some things we, we can't fully comprehend. Our, our human minds are finite. <laughs> Fallen human minds can't fully comprehend. So he gave, it, he gave an example that's very hard to understand, and we just he, he explained it as best as he could, and you kind of have to just leave it there. Like, how could... How could Jesus be fully divine and yet not know something? Um, and, and his explanation was that um, his divine nature didn't communicate that information to his human nature. And that's very hard for us to get our, our minds around if he's, if he's fully human and fully divine. Um, but there is, like he said, there is a distinction between his humanity and his divinity, but not a, not a separation and not a blending. Okay, how can the church fight Christological heresy today? Yeah, and I think that's where creeds and confessions, obviously good ones, um, are very important. Because, yeah, because this has already been worked out and worked through for hundreds of years by brilliant uh, theologians um, and I think it's very helpful to rely on that when these heresies come up and these debates come up and these criticisms and accusations come up we don't have to just grab our Bible and try to figure it out all over again right <laughs> we have a frame of reference uh, he, he called it boundaries um, we can look at uh, to, to understand help us understand um, what the Bible teaches about the nature of Christ that's why I'm thankful for the book that Taylor and Hannah's doctor has made, like yeah. confessions and things to go back to. Mm -hmm. Sure, right. Um, yeah, and, and obviously, Creed of Chalcedon is, is not the, the only creed we look to. I mean, we, we recite the Apostles' Creed on our Lord's Day every week, and there's other good creeds as well, the Nicene Creed. But, um, and then and we rely heavily on our confession to help us as well to understand. Uh, and catechism too we do question catechism questions every week but speaking of confession why don't we look at 
what our confession says again um, on Christ specifically. So uh, if you'll turn to chapter 8 in the confession, it's in the back of your hymnal. Uh, looks like it's on page 674. And we're just going to read paragraph 2 and 3 tonight. Um, there's 10 paragraphs. We could read the whole thing and find areas that kind of touch on this. But I think 2 and 3 touch on it the most, so let's concentrate on that tonight. Um, and we, I think we read uh, chapter 1 last time. I meant paragraph 1, excuse me. All right, so chapter 8 in our confession, uh, starting paragraph 2. The Son of God, the second person in the Holy Trinity, being very and eternal God, the brightness of the Father's glory, of one substance and equal with him who made the world, who upholdeth and governeth all things he hath made, did, when the fullness of time was come, take into him man's nature, with all the essential properties and common affirmities thereof, yet without sin, being conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary, the Holy Spirit coming down upon her, and the power of the Most High overshadowing her. And so was made of a woman of the tribe of Judah, of the seed of Abraham and David, according to the Scriptures, so that two whole, perfect, and distinct natures were inseparably joined together in one person, without conversion, composition, or confusion, which person is very God and very man, yet one Christ, the only mediator between God and man. You see how similar there the, the wording is, the language is? All right, paragraph three. The Lord Jesus, in his human nature, thus united to the divine, in the person of the Son, was sanctified and anointed with the Holy Spirit above measure, having in him all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, in whom it pleased the Father that all fullness should dwell, to, to the end that, being holy, harmless, undefiled, and full of grace and truth, he might be thoroughly furnished to execute the office of a mediator and surety, which office he took not upon himself, but was thereunto called by his Father, who also put all power and judgment in his hand, and gave him commandment to execute the same. So the beginning of that paragraph we kind of see mentioned again, Talking about his human nature united to the divine in the person, singular, the person of the Son. It's a very similar language in our, in our confession here. Um, and in fact, uh, I like how it's not exact, exactly the same wording, but it's, a, it's basically the same meaning on those negatives at the end of paragraph 2, without conversion, composition, or confusion. Um, so that obviously, too, hits at the heart of some of those heresies. Okay, so um, I hope we learned a lot. I hope it was helpful. Any comments or thoughts on our study tonight? I thought it was really good to hear about how one nature has how the two natures are without confusion, it's a mixture of division or separation. Right, and I think it's in... in Dr. Sproul kind of touched on this. It's interesting. So because our our human minds are so finite and we're trying to figure out how to deal with understanding 
an infinite mind of God, we usually have to fall back to negatives, right? We have to say what he isn't because we can't really comprehend fully what he is. Um, but we know he isn't this, he isn't that. And he mentioned a couple, he's not changeable. You know, he's not finite. Um, so it's the same thing here with Christ. So they, they came up with four negatives. He is not, his natures are not these things. Um, so sometimes just speaking in the negative can very, be very helpful to, to understand. All right, anything else? All right, let's close in prayer. Father our God, we again thank you that we are able to come together and to study your word and to study um, the work of many who have gone before us. We thank you uh, for their efforts and their works. We thank you as it helps us uh, to better understand your word. Uh, we, we know that uh, your holy scripture uh, is inerrant, is infallible, and that these external sources written uh, by men are not, but uh, they are often, when done uh, sincerely and with great forethought, are very helpful uh, to us when studying your word. We thank you for those tools. Um, we pray that you would continue to edify us uh, using such tools and that you would continue to illumine us through your Holy Spirit. Uh, we pray that we have safe travels home tonight, especially in the, um, the bad weather, but we, uh, we thank you and praise you for the rain. And we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.